open up your Bibles or scroll in your Bible app to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And this morning, I will begin reading in verse 1. And since these words were breathed out by God the Holy Spirit, would you stand in honor of the reading of him and his word? And follow along silently as I read aloud 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And if you're new to this practice, at the end of my reading, I will say the word of the Lord. And we'll celebrate the fact that we have access to God's word by saying thanks be to God. Let's pick it up in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. This is what the word of God says. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised. When you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So since just about just after the new year, we've been in this brief topical series, which takes a look at uh, what our vision is as a church, calling it 2020 vision, clarifying the vision that we have for the people of Grace Fellowship Church. And we've been all over the Bible as we seek to clarify this vision. And this week we're in first Peter. And so before we get into our text, let's talk a little bit about the book first Peter. First of all, killer title. Uh, But the guy who wrote it, Peter, the apostle Peter, he was the leader of the apostles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Whenever there's a, a list of the apostles, he's always listed first. In fact, throughout the gospels, second to Jesus, always second to Jesus. Like Jesus is always the main character, right? If he's, if he's in the picture, he's always the main character, but second to him, we have more information throughout the gospels about the apostle Peter than any other human being. In fact, if you remember, we were in a series in the book of Acts, which Lord willing, we'll get back into in a few weeks. But Peter was a key character in the first century church, particularly and especially after Jesus's resurrection and ascension. You'll remember them saying, we need someone to replace Judas. We've only got 11. We need 12. Peter brought that up. Peter led the charge. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Peter preaches the sermon. Many of the miracles in Acts chapters 3 through 9 were performed by none other than the apostle Peter. 
God opened the door of the gospel to go to the Samaritans through Peter, Acts chapter 8. Through the Gentiles, through Peter, Acts chapter 10. And then after that, there's kind of radio silence for a while. We don't know much about Peter, but history and tradition tells us uh, a couple of things. Actually, there's one more thing we know scripturally about Peter, and that is the fact that he was married, right? Because Peter heals who? His mother-in-law. And Paul talks about Peter's wife in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 5. But beyond that, history and tradition would tell us that Peter suffered at least two very tragic things in the last days of his life. First is that Peter was compelled to watch his wife be crucified, which is a terrible, terrible thing. Compelled to watch his wife be crucified and that the last thing he cried out to her was, remember the Lord as she died for her faith. The second tragic thing that Peter would have suffered towards the end of his life is that when it came for Peter to be crucified, he apparently said he was not worthy to be crucified in the same way as his Lord, but should be crucified upside down. And history and tradition, it's not in the Bible, but history tells us that that's exactly what happened. Then if you know anything about Peter, that fits his personality to a T, right? When Jesus wanted to wash the disciples' feet, Peter, you're not washing my feet. Jesus like, I have to wash your feet. Fulfill all rights. I have to do this. Then wash my whole body. Like he's just, woo, woo, from one ditch to another. And so he's always like that. He's, his personality, you can see that throughout all of scripture, right? He's the one who cut off Malchus's ear as Peter's being arrested, as Jesus, excuse me, is being arrested. And Jesus is like, would you stop? And heals Malchus's ear. He is this extreme personality, but a great example for us of love and service and repentance, because he sins a grievous, grievous sin as he denies, he denies Jesus three times. And even before that, tells Jesus that he's wrong. You're never right when you're telling Jesus he's wrong. But when Jesus says, you're going to do this, it's like, no, probably not going to be me. You may have me confused with somebody else. We kind of look alike with the sandals and everything. He's like, yeah, you're going to deny me three times. And then he does that. But then Jesus restores him to ministry. And he's a great instrument in the hands of his Redeemer. And so at the time that this book was being written, the Roman emperor's name was Nero. Nero. And Nero was what theologians call crazy. I mean, nothing short of crazy. Okay, this is a man who had his mother murdered, sent her out on a ship so that it would be drowned. And then when she swam to shore, he sent soldiers over there so that she would be killed. Nero was not uh, favorable with his wife, Octavia. And so he had her executed. But probably the thing that Nero's known the most for is for ignoring and also likely causing the great fire of Rome. So there was a great fire in the city of Rome, which essentially wiped out not only the city, but like an entire people group, an entire culture, like key things in Rome were just torn down and burned just to, and just destroyed to smithereens. And so it wasn't all just like a really bad fire. And it wasn't even just that a lot of people died, but literally a culture and a way of life was wiped out likely because Nero really had this fascination with building this new home in this new city that he had in mind. And so he decided to burn the joint down. And so homeless and helpless people resented Nero, but Nero wanted to change that narrative. And long before Billy Joel, he said, we didn't start the fire. And he said, actually, the people who did start the fire were Christians and had people understand, oh, it's the Christians that started the fire. They're the ones who did this. And therefore widespread persecution broke out. 
Horrible persecution against Christians. And so people fled to places like you see in 1 Peter chapter 1. So flip back a few chapters to 1 Peter chapter 1. They went to, look at verse 1, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That is who Peter is writing to. He is writing to people who were likely saved through Paul's teaching. We don't really know. But needed teaching and encouragement and strengthening because now they're suffering big time. And they're watching their friends and family members be crucified, be persecuted. Uh, They're watching Nero take Christians, dip them in oil tie them to posts and light them on fire as torches in his garden as Nero would go walking around. Crazy. And so these are the people who need this encouragement, who need this strengthening. As if you were to read through the whole book of 1 Peter, which I hope you'll do because we're not going to do today. But if you were to read through that, you would see four key themes as you read through it. Don't lose hope. Don't be bitter and angry. Trust in Jesus, he's coming back. Which are key themes that he would need to, that people would need to hear, right? If they're going through intense persecution, don't lose hope. Don't be bitter and angry. Trust in Jesus, he's coming back. And so when you think of these people who are displaced, these people who have lost their identity and everything of who they are except for Christ, when you pick it up in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, there's a, a popular verse among Christians that we're usually familiar with, but it takes on a whole new picture, right? 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10, once you, were, once you were not a people, like you thought you were wiped out, your culture was wiped out, and you're like, we are nomadic, we are nobody. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And then pick it up in verse 12, 1 Peter 2 and verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, because that's what they were doing, right? They, They started the fire. They did this. They're against us. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Why? Well, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of salvation. Then he begins a dissertation, if you will, in 1 Peter chapter 2. Here's how to act honorably in these different institutions in life. Here's how to act honorably as as a citizen to government. Here's how to act honorably as a slave to your master, as a wife to your husband, and also as a husband to your wife. And all throughout, Peter constantly reminds the readers of Christ that that Christ is their example. Christ is their motivation. Look at 1 Peter 2 and verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. First uh, Peter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Don't lose hope. Don't be bitter and angry. Trust in Jesus. He's coming back. And that takes us to 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Peter says this, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. 
Christ suffered in the flesh. So arm your minds, arm your hearts, arm yourselves with this same way of thinking. Why? For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And there's Peter saying, hey, technically speaking, this is win-win, right? If we live, we live. If we die, we die. And we say along with the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1 and verse 21, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Let's remember that because of Christ. This is win-win. Okay, so let's live and honor the Lord. And if we die, we cease from sinning. We go to heaven. Technically speaking, this is win-win. I pick it up in verse 3, 1 Peter 4 and verse 3. He reminds them of their past. Listen, the time that has passed suffices for doing what Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatry. Like, no, don't start thinking we're going to die, so let's just eat, drink, and be merry. Let's honor God to the end. Let's not go back to the ways we were. Let's honor God to the end. Let's keep the faith. Let's press on. Let's hold the line. Verse 4, with respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, but they're going to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Verse 6, for this is why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead. That sounds weird. It's really not. He's just saying this is why the gospel is preached to those who have died. This is why the gospel is preached to them. they're, They're now dead that though judged in the flesh the way people are, They might live in the spirit the way God does. This is why the gospel is preached to those who died. Fresh on their mind are those who died, right? It just happened. They likely saw it. They're missing people. There's people who are probably part of large families who are now the only ones left, et cetera, et cetera. And he's saying, hey, take heart. This is why the gospel is preached. Win-win. Let's keep the faith. And that brings us to our primary text today, which is 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. But I'm going to start out in verse 10, actually. And our first point, if you have God's saving grace, you have God's serving grace too. Look at 1 Peter 4 and verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Here's what I want you to notice. Uh, Nowhere in Peter's writing does he say, if you have a gift, use it to serve one another. Nowhere. Uh, Nowhere in his letter does he say, figure out if you're gifted in any way. And if you are, use it to serve one another. And if you're not, just sit tight. Not at all. It's a foregone conclusion that the people he's writing to have received a gift. And that they're able to use it to serve. Look at that again in verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. But this isn't just a Peter thing. I want you to see it elsewhere in the scriptures. So do me a favor. If you're using a regular Bible, keep your finger in 1 Peter 4 and flip back to the book of Romans. Uh, The book of Romans written by the Apostle Paul and chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And we'll pick it up in verse 3. Romans 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, Paul says, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, 
are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Do you see that in verse 6? Having gifts that differ according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Like Peter, Paul makes a similar statement, and that's one of certainty. Verse 6, having gifts, not if you have gifts, not if you can get a gift, not if you can buy a gift, not if you can earn a gift, but having gifts. And he's writing to a whole church of people, a large church of people, having gifts, let's use them. So here's the question, though. Are Peter and Paul, quite frankly, being just a bit presumptuous? Right? Oh, they're probably gifted. I've seen the way they conduct themselves. They're kind of impressive. Let's just assume they're all gifted so that most of them try. Like, is this just a PR stunt? Is this presumptuous on their part? And the answer is no. Why? Because he knows that God's saving grace and serving grace go hand in hand. And you don't have one without the other. God's saving grace and serving grace go hand in hand. It's two for one or O for two. You don't have one without the other. And for that, I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter two. And while you do that, I will tell you a short story. Ephesians chapter two. I have four children. Boy, boy, girl, boy. Emma is my daughter. On Mondays each week, most weeks, uh, I start my Monday by working from home. So I'll take Justin to school. I'll come back and I'll put Emma on the bus. And uh, this, Emma's usually talking a mile a minute about different things that are on her mind. And so she's super sassy, which I don't know where she gets that from. And she's, uh, this week she goes, my friends call me jackpot. And so I'm doing whatever. I'm like, oh, okay, that's, that's great. But I'm like, wait. Why do they call you jackpot? And she goes, because at lunch, I get them all fruit roll-ups and Doritos. I said, oh, really? She goes, yeah. I go, and I go back into the lunch line, and I get them all fruit roll-ups and Doritos. And then I come, and I drop it on the table, and they all go, jackpot! And she goes, and then I stand there, and I do this. I'm like, oh, really? How do you do that? She goes, it's simple. I just enter in my number again. I'm like, oh, now that number is connected to my bank account, which funds her jackpot ways. So then I take out my phone just because there's an app, and I'm like, oh, okay. And there it is. 225 is lunch. (laughs) 50 cents, 50 cents, 50 cents, 50 cents, 50 cents, 50 cents. Oh, wow. Wow. I see. I was like, sweetheart, if you keep, your friends are going to have to call you bankrupt. (laughs) If you keep this up. Okay, so it's my, you, you can't do that. And she says, oh, come on. I said, baby, you can't, you can't do that. There's a limit on, on to what, you, it's, my, it's my money. You can't do, super generous with my money. You can't do that, jackpot. <laughs> do me a favor and look at Ephesians 2. Chapter 4, excuse me, Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, being what? Jackpot. 
truly, right? Rich in mercy. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. Rich in mercy. Saving grace and serving grace go hand in hand. Here's what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who has come to the realization that they themselves are bankrupt. Right? That they look at the app of their life and they're like, oh, bankrupt. I have nothing to offer for my own salvation. I can't pay for my own sin. My good will never outweigh my bad. Theoretically, if I could be perfect for every day going forward, I will never erase what I've done in the past. And so it doesn't matter if my good outweighs my bad because I can't undo what I've done. I'm bankrupt. I'm hell bound. I'm hell deserving. I have no hope of pleasing God. No hope of pleasing God. And the only way that I can have a relationship with God is that I would come to the foot of the cross, that I would come to Jesus and say, I need what? Mercy. I need mercy. I need desperately to be treated, not as my sins deserve, not as I've merited. I need to be treated better than that because I can't go back. I can't undo what I've done and I can't earn my way into heaven. And God is like rich in mercy. He's not running out. If you yourself are lost today, If you yourself are sitting here and you like Jesus, but you don't love Jesus, or you don't like Jesus and you're just here with a friend, or you're just visiting, or you're just appeasing someone, you need to understand that God is rich in mercy. And he will never look at any one of his kids and say, I'm going to go bankrupt if you keep this up. If you keep coming back, needing mercy over and over again, I'm going to go, it's my mercy. I can't just keep giving this out. Because he can. Because Ephesians 2 tells us he's what? Rich, rich in mercy, and he gives it out because he loves giving it out to his children. He loves giving it out to people who say, oh, have mercy upon me, a sinner. I need mercy. I need grace. And then that person puts all of their trust, not not some of it, all of it, into that one thing called mercy and grace, into Jesus Christ, believing that God is truly satisfied, not just kind of, like 100% satisfied with the price that Jesus paid on the cross for sinners like you and like me. You see, that's all I'm going on. I'm still going to, yeah, I still want to be nice. I still want to please the Lord with my life. I'm still going to try to be a better person today than I was yesterday. I still want to be more like Jesus than I am myself. Great. But I'm not putting any of my confidence in that. I'm putting my confidence and my trust, all of my eggs in this one basket of mercy and grace. This one basket that that I'm really trusting in for my salvation. That's a Christian. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. I'm putting my faith in that grace. F-A-I-T-H, forsaking all I trust him. I'm laying everything else aside, putting all my eggs in the Jesus basket. I'm putting all my chips there. That's it. And I'm saved by grace through faith, verse 8. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so no one can boast. And God chose to do this. Why? Rich in mercy. 
rich in mercy, full of mercy, not nearly running out. That's saving grace. And if we're Christians, we have that and we can take it to the bank. And when we need more grace, not to become more saved, but to become more like Christ, we can timidly approach his throne. No, we boldly approach the throne of grace. I need, hey, I need grace. I desperately need grace. Not if you, if you don't mind, if you've, had a, if you've had a good lunch and you cannot hit me, I need the grace. Boldly approach the throne of grace. Because... He gives it out to us as we have need. Saving grace is what all Christians have. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. No one is saved by serving. Got to be very clear, especially in a message like this. This is not a call for you to up your game so that you can get into heaven. Because some of you are falling behind, and if you don't serve a certain amount, you have to realize that your bad's really going to outweigh your good, and you're losing brownie points with God. That's not this at all. No one is saved by serving, but everyone who is saved should be serving. Not saved by serving, but the saved should be Serving. Does that make sense? We're not serving so that we can earn brownie points, really get into heaven. We're not trying to decrease our time to suffer for our sins like Catholics believe. That's not a thing. We're not doing that at all. We're either saved or we're not. We either have God's saving grace through faith or we don't. And if we do, the saved should be serving. And that brings us to our second point. God gives us gifts to serve others, not to keep to ourselves. So going back to 1 Peter chapter 4, If you look at verse 10 again, it says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as what? Good stewards of God's varied grace. Good stewards of God's varied grace. That's a a Greek word that's not a spiritual word, the word steward. Oikonomos. It's a common Greek word that just meant manager or superintendent or actually most commonly was used to talk about like a manager of the city's finance. That's, so you're a steward of God's varied grace. First uh, Corinthians chapter four, it's in your outline, also talks about stewardship. First uh, Corinthians four verses one and two. This is how one should regard us, Paul says, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Faithful with what's been entrusted to them. Faithful with what they are stewarding, with what they're managing, with what they're directing. A steward is one who has been given for for a, a period of time the care of something that is owned by another. This is actually a concept that I talk about in biblical counseling training, at counseling training conferences like our own CDT, when it comes to parenting. Because we are stewards of our children. And we are given for a time the care of something that is owned by another. By God. And stewardship can be defined as faithful and efficient management of something belonging to another in order to achieve the owner's objectives. That's what a good manager is. That's what a good steward is. 
and stewards always act in the best interest of the owner. And for that, I want you to keep your finger in 1 Peter 4 again and go to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 25. Matthew, chapter 25. Jackpot. Matthew chapter 25 contains uh, a few parables. I'm going to focus our attention on what's called the parable of the talents, uh, which starts in verse uh, 14. Jesus says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his, to them his property. Uh, verse 15, To one he gave five talents, uh, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Now, What is a talent? It's not a talent like a talent show. A talent is a monetary unit that's worth about 20 years wages for a laborer. In fact, many of your Bibles will have that in a cross-reference if you read the fine print. So we're talking about a monetary unit worth about 20 years wages for a laborer. And so this man supposedly gave, in this story, gave one of the workers five talents, right? Another one, three. Wait, three? Yeah, five talents, so another two, sorry. Five talents, and then there's three, five talents, another two, and then another one, each according to his ability. Okay, now skip down to verse 20. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more. So now the guy goes away, he comes back, right? So he says, and he brings five talents more. Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master, okay? He was what? A good steward. A good steward of what the Lord had entrusted to him. And he reproduced it in the time that he had and caused it to, uh, he invested it, caused it to profit and made wise decisions with it. The guy with two talents had done similarly and the master responded similarly. Well done, good and faithful servant, good job. But now skip down to verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, the good news is you have what is yours. Kept it super safe. Didn't do anything with it. So here it is. So he did nothing with what his master entrusted to him. Nothing. Zippo. Except buried it in the ground. He just made sure it didn't get ruined or taken or used up. He buried it, keeping it safe, snug as a bug in a rug. And when the master returned, he gave it back to him. And in verse 26, his response is what? But the master answered him, oh, I really wish you had an, I, I wish you had done something differently. Oh, it's a shame. It's been time. You could have. He doesn't say that. He calls him what? Wicked. Whoa. Wicked and slothful. You wicked and lazy servant. That's a pretty strong reaction. It's not just like, eh, at least I didn't lose on it. You wicked servant. I entrusted something to you and you did nothing with it. He produced absolutely nothing with the talent he had been given and did not even make an attempt to use it for his master's benefit and profit. He didn't misuse the talent. You see that, right? He didn't squander it. He simply disregarded the stewardship he had been given. So listen, in a very similar way, 
unbelieving people in church, big churches, small churches, near and far, live in an environment of the people of God, enjoy the teaching and exposure to God's word, they enjoy the fellowship or what seems to be genuine fellowship with people, but even with all of this, they make no positive response to the gospel and therefore render no fruitful service. They don't steward well what God has entrusted to them. And in response to the unfaithful slave's rationalization, the master said, you wicked and lazy servant, you wicked and slothful servant. The slave was wicked because he inaccurately represented the character of his master. And the parallel character in this story is God. And he was lazy because he did nothing with what was entrusted to him. We're responsible to make the most of the time, the very short time that we've been given here on earth. We're responsible to make the most of the time that we've been given here on earth, always acting in the best interest, not of ourselves, not of our kids, not of our families, but of the master. And to not do so is at best slothful or at worst wicked. Why? Because saving grace and serving grace go hand in hand. The only distinguishing mark of the first two servants was that they used their opportunity to serve the Lord before his return. That's it. Which they were looking forward to and anticipating and waiting for. And they, they, they showed that they were genuinely saved, that they genuinely loved the Lord because they made the most with the time that they've been given. Willing to invest everything they had in their service of the master. The third guy laid it aside, put aside what God had given him and went about his own life, his own selfish business. And he called himself a servant of God, but demonstrated that he was like, so not that. And so that should get our attention and remind us what we covered in our first point, right? No one is saved by serving, but those who are saved should be serving. And so what about you? What I'm about to do is called a pun. What talent has the Lord entrusted to you that you should be using for his glory in the short time you have before you either die or the master comes back? What about you? Saving grace? Serving grace, hand in hand. It's two and one or 0 for two. What has God entrusted to you to use for the glory of God in the short time that you have? The short time that I have, our very, very short life, which the Bible tells us is, is it's like a breath. It's really cold outside. Do that before you get in the car today and watch your life disappear. That's the picture, the vapor. It's just a, our life is like a vapor, our whole life. What is it, 70, 80, 90, even 100 years? He wants us to see it just disappear so that we're well aware of the fact that our life is short. And so what about you? What is the talent 
that God has given you that he would call you to use for his kingdom. And here's our third point. And there's one other thing that I want to point out to you in Matthew 25 before we get back to 1 Peter. God's grace isn't one size fits all, but it's custom made for you to serve him and his. Is there anything more frustrating than the serve one size than the the term one size fits all? Really? Is that ever true? Can that ever possibly be true? Right? It 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 just can't. There's always someone who's not going to fit it. And one time I remember talking to someone at a like a like a flea market type thing and I was like this can't really fit. It's not one size fits all. And they said, oh, it, it is. I was like, well, but this wouldn't fit. And I, I, I just, because I'm that guy, right? So I was just like, this wouldn't fit someone like huge. And she goes, well, one size fits all within reason. I was like, oh, one size fits all within reason, as in one size fits not all. Anyway, this, so God's grace is not one size fits all, but it's custom made for you to serve him and his. Look at Matthew 25. Look at verse 15. Look at how God works. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. Then what does it say? To each according to his ability. So God gives grace and it's not one size. Here it is. You got to do this. This is how you have to. You're saved. Here's your serving grace. You've got everyone's You've got to preach. God and somehow preach a sermon. You're like, I don't know if I have the ability. I can't, I can't do it. Here's serving grace. You got to do it. Ah, here's serving grace. Go. Ah, that's not me. That's not how God's grace works. It's not one size fits all. God gives, just like in the parable of the talents, to each according to his ability. So go back to 1 Peter 4 and verse 10, and you'll see this concept is outlined first right there. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of what? Of God's varied grace. Uh, 1 Peter 4 and verse 10 could actually read, as each has received to get, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's multicolored grace. Do you know that? Or God's multifaceted grace. It's a Greek word, poikilos, which just means varied or manifold or various forms. It would be used in Greek language to talk about the many colors on something. The many colors in a rainbow, the many colors on a garment. It's multicolored. So when it comes to saving grace, think about it. People usually have different stories of how it was manifested to them and how God saved them, but it all reaches the same end, right? I know someone who was reading their Bible and eventually understood the gospel, and God saved them by themselves, alone. No one explained anything, had nothing to do with the relationship. It wasn't in a church service, saved by grace through the word of God. Hallelujah. My wife was brought up in the Carolinas, raised in the church with faithful, godly, wonderful parents whose family I'm honored to be a part of, but wasn't saved until she was a young adult outside of the Bible Belt, working as a nanny in New York City, reading through bills. She was reading through bills. That's what she was doing, reading mail. And all of a sudden, the Lord laid it on her heart, and she thought, I should read my Bible. Nothing in her bank statement showed that. She's just reading bills, and for some reason, she said... I haven't read my Bible in the longest time. And she started reading her 
Bible. And then she thought she should get back into church. And she called home, which was Columbia, South Carolina. And her parents are part of actually Brad's last church in Columbia, South Carolina. And her, she called, she said, you guys know anyone who knows of a church in here? And yours truly happened to be speaking at that church at that time. And this little Southern girl who happened to be now my sister-in-law came up to me and said, you pastor a church in New York. My sister's looking for a church. Can I have your phone number? And I said, sure. So this way you can give her directions. And I gave her directions and she found the church and she came to the church and she heard the gospel afresh having nothing to do with me. I was playing the piano that day and I was wearing a sweater vest. Don't judge. And so she comes to the church. She hears the word of God. She joins that church. She becomes part of that church and God quickens her heart and gave her love for Christ. It's a wonderful story. You have a story. I have a story. Everyone who's saved has some sort of a story. And sometimes it's dramatic with a lot of details, and sometimes it's not. But everyone has a story. It's not just one size fits all. But the end is the same. It's the multicolored, multifaceted grace of God. Serving grace is just as multicolored as saving grace. It's not one size fits all. Some of you are very gifted in teaching. Very gifted. You might even do it vocationally. You do a great job, and we could really use you in our children's ministry to teach because you can connect with young minds like others can't. Some of you teach full-time and do a really good job and have zero desire to do that on your off time. Great. Don't do that. Do something else. Help people feel welcomed at one of our campuses. Say, we're glad you're here, and smile. Give them a bulletin. Help them check in their kids. Are those of you say, I... Really enjoy young people. I love their energy, their enthusiasm, their melodramatic ways. I even love their memes. They're very talented. Their jokes, their crazy ways, and I connect well with them. I want to help them navigate this difficult season in life. Great. You need to speak with your campus pastor or with whoever oversees student ministry at your campus. You need to speak with Josh Lewis at the Florence campus. You need to speak with Aaron Barnett at the Fort Thomas campus. You need to speak with Stephen Petrie at the Independence campus to get involved in student ministry in some way, shape, or form. Some of you say, I used to not want to teach children. This is one of my favorite. I used to not want to teach children's ministry, but you know what? Now I do. Great. We don't hold a grudge. Well, no. Well, now you want to teach. No, we'd love to have you. Come and talk to the person who's, talk to your campus pastor. Talk to the person who coordinates or directs your children's ministry at your campus. Some of you say, I want to help people understand better the word of God, but not, I don't want to preach. I, I, I just, in a difficult time of their lives, I want to help them understand God's word and give them hope and help them relate it to a, a hard hard season of their life. So they would see God's sovereignty. So they would see God's mercy. So they would see God's hope, even as first, even as Peter's doing in first Peter, right? Don't lose hope. Don't get angry and bitter. Trust God. Jesus is coming. I want to help people see that in their everyday life. Great. Our counseling ministry would love to have you. You say, I don't know how to counsel. Great. None of us were born knowing how to counsel. We'll help you out. You can go to one of our training conferences. You say, I'm going to wait till the fall? You guys do that in the fall, and it's so not the fall now. No. You can sit on a counseling case. We can give you a book to read. Dr. Mark Shaw. Doctor. Dr. Mark Shaw. Kind of a big deal. He can give you some things to think through. He can give you a pamphlet. He can give you a booklet. He can talk to you about what it means to counsel. You say, I'm kind of scared of counseling. Dr. Mark Shaw is a very gentle, kind man. Fear not. The Shaw will love you. 
We can give you a video to watch about. What do you want? We, they're like, like, you want to get involved. You want to serve, serve in this way. Some of you love life early in the morning because you're odd. And that's fine. Like, I know someone who likes to sleep in on week. I'm kind of, a, I mean, I'm, I'm up early in the mornings during the week, but when it's, I don't have to be, I, 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 I don't want to sleep. I, I want to sleep in a little. I know someone who sleeps in on the weekends. He sleeps in until six. He's a freak. It's fine. That's fine. God makes people in all different shapes and sizes. I'm going to sleep in today. I think I'll sleep in until six. Great. Some of you are like, I like that guy. I am that guy. Some of you are like, oh, I'm, I am that girl. Great. That's great. You like to serve early. Great. Want to help us open up a church building? Want to help us make coffee? Want to do something for us? Want to set up something that needs set up? We would love to have you. We don't all call 6 a.m. sleeping in. If you do, great. We would love to have you and your odd ways. You know what gifts some of you have? How God's serving graces at work in some of your lives? You don't know. But you're convicted from God's word that God's saving grace and serving grace go hand in hand. And so you come up to me or Pastor Brian or Pastor Eric or Pastor Aaron and you say, I'll serve where you need me the most. I don't know, where do you need me the most? And we do the happy dance. We tell you, may your tribe increase. And we start talking to you about the ways that you can serve at our campus because we have needs. What about this? Would this work? Here's an opportunity. I love, I'm a former headhunter. I love sitting down and talking about people's experience and what they want their next step up to be. Like, I love doing that. So we can do that. I don't get a cut anymore, but we can do that. And I can help you plug into an area that will fit your schedule and what you want to do. Those are the most fun conversations to have. Why? Because it's people coming to grips with the reality that they've been saved, not by serving, but saved unto serving, and that that grace goes hand in hand. What talent has God given you according to your ability, Matthew twenty-five fifteen, that he wants you to give to his people and invest in his kingdom? Finally, as we finish up, point number four, our gifts vary, but the giver does not. God is the one who is working through you to bless others. Uh, verse 11, whoever speaks, 1 Peter 4, verse 11, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And so whether they're teaching or whether they're serving, whether they're holding open a door, whether they're writing a book for counseling, it doesn't matter. It's all coming from what? God. Like nobody's serving of their own strength. Wow, he's really talented the way he does it. The way she can teach that, that I could never, she really has a gift of God. I just make coffee. You don't see any of that in the word of God. You see that the strength that the coffee person uses and the teaching gift that the teacher uses all come from God, equally from God. And so that really levels the playing field when it comes to you know, like who's the real, who's a real servant? Who really serves the church? The usher, the nursery worker, the preacher, the parking attendant, we're all the same. And that all of us serve only as God has enabled us to do so. And we're all serving the Lord. And finally, we serve the Lord and each other with a sense of urgency because time is literally running out. First Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is at hand. Time's running out. The death toll remains one apiece. We're all going to die or Jesus is going to come back. But either way, that clock is ticking. 
And so knowing that, we want to use however many days the Lord has us live, right? However many days he lends us breath. We want to use that for his glory and the good of his kingdom and invest our time, our talent, our skill, our gift, or just our willingness into the kingdom of God for his glory and for the good of other people because there's a sense of urgency. You don't see Peter saying, listen, I know things are hard and I know time is running out, so hunker down, draw the shades, huddle up with your family, huddle up with your favorite Christian circle, huddle up. He doesn't say that. He says, the end of all things is at hand, so be self-controlled and sober-minded, but keep loving one another earnestly. The love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, etc., etc. There's no, we've got to calm it down. But instead, there's a reminder that our days are short, that Jesus is coming, and we should not lose hope. We should not be bitter and angry. We should trust in him, look for him to come back, and let's make hay while the sun shines. Because God's saving grace and his serving grace go hand in hand. Father in heaven, we are grateful for your grace, grateful for your mercy, thankful for the opportunity you give us to serve you with the days that we have and look to you for wisdom and discernment as to how to please you with the time that we've been given. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.